bet the game. Sounds crazy, Frank. <laughs> Maybe just crazy enough to work. Sports betting with an Oregon lean. Powered by Sports Radio 750, The Game, Portland's most listened to sports station. You probably won't say it again. I bet I do. Okay. Chris. Now, here are your hosts, Judah Newby and Zach Schlegel. All right. Welcome back. Bet the game, 750 the game, 750thegame.com. NFL Divisional Playoff Weekend, College Football National Championship Game, one of the best weekends, one of the best betting weekends on the entire sports calendar is upon us on uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Three consecutive games of bet-heavy football. That's what it's all about. Zach Schlegel, Judah Newby, bet the game. Back again, Zach. That's what it's all about, Judah. I'm super pumped up for this weekend. We got the national championship on Monday. We got divisional rounds Saturday and Sunday. It's just a lot of great football, quality football this time of year. Wild card weekend for games. They came and went uh, because of Minnesota winning outright, because of Tennessee winning outright. It seems like a lot of sports books did really well, you know, being on the right side of those public money line parlays. You know, oh, a lot yeah. of people taking New England, a lot of people taking New Orleans just on the money line to have two favorites of that size and that attraction lose outright on wildcard weekend. Good for the sports books for sure. Uh, Seattle winning balanced that out just a touch, but not too, too much. I mean, that was still a really close line as well. And now we go into divisional weekend. What were your primary takeaways though, from the wildcard weekend? Well, just looking back, uh, the Vikings, Obviously, very impressive. They went in there. They had a great game plan to take down the Saints. I was shocked. I think most people were shocked because Kirk Cousins, we know, he just hasn't been able to do it in prime time for most yeah. of his career. Uh, I still I don't think he's won a Monday Night Football game, but that one was a big one. Yep. So credit to them. Credit to Zimmer and the coaching staff there. Credit to their defense. Uh, the Vikings, it's going to be a tough out uh, against the 49ers, so... I'm excited to talk about that game. The Seahawks, they got it done. Unfortunately for the Eagles, Carson Wentz going down. That was sad to see. Um, I I was kind of thinking for a second there, uh, what's his name that came in? Uh, um, Josh McCown. Josh McCown. Nice oh, my 40 gosh. 40-year-old Josh McCown. 40-year-old Josh McCown. I thought for a second there he was going to pull a Nick Foles, lead him to victory, and then go all the way to the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> he was that close. Right. He was that close. Um, but yeah, Seahawks got it done. DK Metcalf, I mean, he is an absolute animal. That play that won them the game when they just threw it up to him, yeah. that's what they got to do more of. Yeah, yeah, especially against that Philly secondary. Mm -hmm. It worked out. We'll see if it works out similarly this weekend at Green Bay. That's going to be a lot of fun. New Orleans losing outright. That was very surprising. New England, not as much. You know, we were talking about them possibly being right. vulnerable, but the default position is, hey, I'll be the last one on the train to mm -hmm. declare the Patriots are dead. Exactly. Lo and behold, 15-point 15 15 favorites against Miami Week 17. They lose outright to not get the bye, and then they lose at home in a playoff game. I mean, uh, maybe they're not dead because there's still some things to be determined with Tom Brady, uh, Josh McDaniels interviewing with the Cleveland Browns job mm -hmm. today. But at the very least, we haven't been in this position with New England really in a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, that was really interesting. Derrick Henry, I mean, this guy, Huge all they game. needed to do was hand him the ball. He ran 36 times, I believe, in yeah. that game. So that's one thing when we get to that matchup, uh, talking about the Titans and the Ravens, you know, we have to mention Derrick Henry. How is he feeling after taking a workload like that? Yeah. Uh, only a week's rest now. The Ravens are ready for him. That defense, if they can stop him, well, then it's going to rely, they're going to rely on Ryan Tannehill to get it done. And, you know, after last week... Who knows if he can get it done, right? He yeah. got it done since taking over for Mariota, but last week he only had to throw the ball 15 times. Yeah, eight completions. Yeah. And he, but two of them were huge. Uh, you know, the touchdown early and then the the uh, third and eight conversion late. You know, that's that was kind of just the recipe that they needed. Meanwhile, you know, you got these teams that have been sitting for the last couple of weeks. That's why you want to get the bye. Teams like San Francisco, Green Bay, uh, obviously Baltimore, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I know you've got some trends that are on your mind as we go from wildcard to divisional weekend. And I know the general perception is it's really hard for these wildcard teams 
to keep on winning and take down right. these teams with the buys and with the home games. Yeah, and usually every year there's one wild card team that gets hot and yeah. makes a run to the conference championship game. You know, this year you could argue it could be the Vikings, it could be the Seahawks, the Titans, and the Texans. I mean, they're the biggest underdogs this weekend going into it. Not many are expecting them to get it done. Both of them are nine and a half point underdogs in that one. But, you know, it's not going to be all four favorites, Judah. Yeah. I mean, it's the NFL. There's yeah. going to be an upset. Most people are talking about the Seahawks. Uh, some people are talking about the Vikings. Me as a 49er fan, I really hope that that doesn't happen. Hmm. But getting into some trends here, since 2003, underdogs are 36-24 and 24 against the spread in the divisional round. And I think a lot wow. of that has to do with home field advantage and the bye week being overvalued. So, you know, books are looking at it like, well, these teams have been resting. They've had more time to prepare. The team that they're facing has just played a game and a very important game where they're maybe a little bit beat up. Maybe they have some injuries they're dealing with. But I think a lot of it has to do with that. But underdogs clearly hitting at a nice clip there in the divisional round. That's interesting because, you know, like probably most of those underdogs were the wild card teams that won right but if you you listen to some of the uh sports books you know around the country too there was a chance that green bay had they played new orleans mm -hmm. would have been a home dog interesting yeah with the bye right at home now mm -hmm. i think that's one out of every you know seven or eight years that might happen but definitely 36 and 24 the underdog has that's their record 30, in the divisional yeah. round. Yeah, that's it. Thirty six and twenty four against the spread. Wow, that is yeah. since two thousand three. Since two thousand three, right? Yeah, that makes me happy as a right? Seahawks <laughs> <laughs> Makes me, yeah, it makes me very happy. It makes me a little scared for the Niners, but I have some faith in it. And we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, since the realignment in two thousand two, teams that are averaging more rushing yards per game than their opponent going into the divisional round. Get a load of this, 43-24 and 24 against the spread. That's 64.2%. Wow. So if we're looking at what teams meet that criteria this weekend, the 49ers, the Ravens, the Texans, and the Seahawks hold that advantage. Right? There we go. Thank goodness. I was, <laughs> I was like furiously tapping up who ran for more yards this year, Green Bay or Seattle. Right, right. So um, even though Aaron Jones, we know he's a beast, and that guy has really come on this year, and he really won me my fantasy league. Thank yeah. you very much, Mr. Jones. But uh, looking at it, Jones. Mr. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> looking at it, though, that's a big number, 64% for the teams that are the better rushing teams and quite honestly, when I look at it first glance, I, I kind of feel like those might be the plays against the spread. The Texans, a little questionable there going into Kansas City. Andy Reid's kind of, he's got a lot of pressure on him. Yeah. Uh, a couple more here before we get into the game. Uh, since the new uh, collective bargaining agreement in 2011, home teams 25-7, and 78% uh, straight up. So, mm. you know, 25 of the last 32 games the team that's favored in the divisional round won straight up, but against the spread, favorites are just 15 and 17, and favorites of seven or more are just seven and 11 against the spread. So hmm. the bigger that number in the divisional round, a lot of times wildcard teams get hot, they come in, and they're at least able to hang in the game because maybe the team that had the bye week Maybe they're a little bit rusty, right? I mean, obviously more time to prepare, but the other team kind of still, you know, they're still warm, right? They're still fresh. They're still doing their thing. They're still on a roll while the other team might be kind of looking ahead to the conference championship. Who knows? That's Those are fascinating numbers mm -hmm. to to think about because there's a perception about the divisional round. I love the divisional round mm -hmm. because you get to see so much good teams and you get to see four games. As a fan, like, it's a lot of fun. However... There's a perception about the divisional round that there are a lot of blowouts because, you know, you've got the, you know, perceived, you know, bi week teams are the better teams and you've got these little weakling wildcard teams going in. The number you just said, that last trend, you might want to repeat that. I might need to hear it again. Yeah. That seems to tell me that there have been a lot of close games since 2011 and not blowouts. Yeah, actually. Yeah, you're right because, yeah, 25 and 7 straight up for the teams favored. The favorites are 25 and 7 straight up. Straight up. Okay. 
but against the spread, those same teams are 15 and 17 against the spread. Mm, okay, so right? so there might be a blowout every now and then in the 15 that they cover. Yeah, but and, they ought, they, you know, they're they're not covering just as often. Yeah, and then the and then the big one here too is you know the seven uh, favorites favored by seven or more, mm-hmm. seven and 11 against the spread. There so, you go. Yeah, yeah, you have that bigger number, and again, these wild card teams catching fire, uh, taking advantage of that big number. We see a couple of them this weekend. I love that. Those are valuable trends. All right, shall we uh, look into a few of these games? Let's look into it. Here we go. All right, NFL playoffs, the divisional round. Let's just knock these out in order. Let's do it. uh, In order of their being played. And it begins Saturday, 1.35 p.m. The 49ers of San Francisco taking on the Vikings of Minnesota. I love playoff football. I love the history of playoff football. I know this was a matchup in the divisional round. I think in 98, the uh, Vikings with Chris Carter and Randy Moss and Denny Green, Randall Cunningham mm. going to Candlestick Park to take on Steve Mariucci's 49ers. Yeah. And uh, the 49ers uh, won that game before, uh, I believe, losing to the Packers that year when the Packers played the Broncos in the Super Bowl eventually. But here we go. We got the Vikings. They're obviously playing well. I did not give them a shot, much of a shot at all, to win outright in New Orleans. I would have leaned laying the points with New Orleans. And this is not to take anything away from Minnesota last week, but I did feel New Orleans uh, lost that game just as much as, as Minnesota won it. They disappointed in their performance and their effort and the coaching, honestly. Sean Payton, I, he's a great coach. That's unacceptable. You can't yeah. be a 13-win team, <laughs> No. host a wild card game, and lose no. as an eight-point favorite. What is that? Your offense was so hot going into it. The Viking defense is not has not been the elite Viking defense we've been used to seeing, and yet you still lose outright to this team. This line, San Francisco-Minnesota, opened San Francisco minus 7 with a total at 46. That line has stayed just about the same at 7 across the board, and the total has started to tick a little bit down. Interesting. Uh, to 44 or 44 and a half. So we're not expecting a whole lot of points in this football game between the Vikings and Niners. Yeah, this is supposed to be a low-scoring game, Jude. I think it's the lowest total on the board currently. The total opened actually at 45. Nearly all the action came in on the under, bringing it to, it was 46, 46, 45, depending on the book. Now it's currently at 44. Now the under is 6-1 and one in the last seven meetings between these two teams, and the under has cashed 12 of the last 17 games when the Vikings face an NFC opponent. So do with that what you must, uh, but let's talk a little bit here about the injuries because I think that's a big part of, well, every game, every yeah. sport, no matter what you're playing. But let's look at the 49ers real quick because these guys are the healthiest they've been in months, and that's huge. I'm really excited for this because they have three key defenders returning. Quan Alexander, D. Ford, and Jaquiski Tart are all expected to play in the game. A couple of them not really up to 100%, but they're definitely... And maybe 90s, whatever they're it is, they're, they're definitely going to play. They're playoff ready, exactly. <laughs> it's like you play banged up in the playoffs. You do whatever it takes. Um, so every projected opening day starter will be active except defensive tackle DJ Jones. And then on the offensive side for the 49ers, right guard Mike Person also expected to make a return. He had a neck injury. So 49ers very, very healthy. On the Vikings side, Adam Thielen sustained an ankle injury. Uh, on Wednesday, he was limited in practice. He That's also following a hamstring injury earlier in the season. So Thielen, man, it's been a rough season for him, but he's done the most with it. And then Stefan Diggs just heard that he missed back-to-back days this week with the flu. Right. So they got two wide receivers. Their two best wide receivers. Their two best targets for Kirk Cousins are you know injured or with the flu right now. The 49ers, meanwhile, are very, very healthy and ready to go. They're at home. First playoff game for Jimmy G. Kind of crazy to say that, right? And that, but that's been the thing for me is, you know, the 49ers have done great. Their defense has been stellar. Robert Sala, give him all the credit in the world. That defense is so good. But I need to see Jimmy G do it when it really counts, and that's in the playoffs. And that's why when I first saw this number, Judah, I was telling you, I got to lean Vikings plus the points. And here's a couple trends that go with that for the Vikings side. Underdogs against Kyle Shanahan are 11 and 4 and 1 against the spread during his time at San Francisco. So essentially what that means is the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan, 
whenever they've been a favorite, uh, they haven't done well against the spread. Mm. Plain and simple, right? Yeah. Since Zimmer took over as the head coach of the Vikings back in 2014, they're 44-19-1 against the spread when they're facing a non-divisional opponent. So that's almost 70% of the time wow. they cover wow. when they don't face someone in their division. Now, what do I take from that? I just It seems like the Vikings just have really, really solid game plans when they're facing a team that isn't really familiar with them. Of course, when you're facing a team in your division, you see them twice a year. Coaches are very familiar. Players are very familiar with tendencies and how they go about the game. But when you go outside of your division, it's a whole different story. So credit to the Vikings with coming up with good game plans for teams that aren't familiar with them. Finally, though, the Vikings are just 5-14 and 14 against the spread, only 26% in their last 19 games against a team with a winning record. So, hmm. basically, the Vikings have not done well against the spread against really good teams, you know, quality football teams, teams above 500. Um, it might be a wash because the Niners are just 6-19 and 19 against the spread in their last 25 games as a home favorite. So all in all, you can probably wash both of those trends or stats right there. But all in all, Judah, I I have to lean the Vikings plus the points here because, again, it really comes down to Jimmy Garoppolo. I just, I'm not going to fully buy into this guy until I see him do it. And if the Niners win by more than a touchdown in this game, I mean, obviously, I'm going to be happy as a 49ers fan, but kind of like you did many times this year, Judah, I'm going to hedge my bets, and I'm going to go Vikings plus the seven, and I also really like the under on this game because I think both these teams very defensive-minded. Play the under. (laughs) Got to get that in there, too. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be a fascinating game. Really looking forward to watching it. Going to see what Dalvin Cook's role is in this game. The Viking defense has not been what it once was, especially in the back end. I'm interested to see what kind of stress the Niners put on their secondary. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that, um, you know, depends on Minnesota's pass rush. I mean, they yeah. have Daniil Hunter is one of the best. He's mm-hmm. he's a really good player. Yeah, uh, I'm so excited for this game. Oh, yeah. Really, really pumped. Uh, I would have been excited as well for Seattle, San Francisco <laughs> in the divisional round. I was getting my mind ready. I was getting my heart ready for that. Yeah, you were. But I'll get it ready for the NFC title, too. Hey, (laughs) let's go, let's go. It gets there as well. Round three. Round three. All right, uh, moving on to the second game Saturday night, 5-15 out on the West Coast, uh, Nansen Romo. By the way, Minnesota-San Francisco is an NBC game, so you get Michaels and Collinsworth on the call for that. Uh, Tennessee-Baltimore on CBS. The line opened, Baltimore laying 10 at home. And the total at 48 and a half. Uh, since then, it's stuck right around that 10 number. It's nine and a half in some places. Even William Hill has it at nine. They're the only, they're one of only two places at nine right now. Ooh, okay. Uh, but most everything's at nine and a half or 10. And a total is ticked down by about a point and a half to right around our average at 47 right now. So Baltimore, Tennessee, Baltimore, that's. A big, big home favorite. We know Baltimore has playoff experience because of the wild card game with the Chargers last year. Mm-hmm. Even though Lamarvelous wasn't as quite Lamarvelous in that game, he wasn't also NFL MVP Lamar Jackson. No, <laughs> in that game either. So, uh, and Baltimore's defense has played really, really well this year too, especially late. But one thing I've always noticed with Baltimore, and I'm wondering. At what point does this trend snap? They always play with the lead. They're always the first team to score. They always get up early, and the game flow goes in their favor to pound the rock and play solid defense, and they don't have to get outside of themselves ever. However, does that ever change in the playoffs? Is there anything to say that maybe a Tennessee team or maybe whoever they play in the AFC title can be the team that puts them behind? And if Mm -hmm. Baltimore gets behind... That's one thing they're not used to doing as much within the scope of their offense. On the other side, you have a Tennessee team. Mike Vrabel goes in, beats his former boss, and Bill Belichick. They didn't score any offensive points in the second half last week, but they can run the hell out of the football with Derrick Henry. This should be a good football game. Hopefully. Hopefully it should be a good football game. But if you're laying Baltimore, then I guess there is some blowout potential. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's a good football game just for entertainment's sake. You mentioned, though, the the Ravens, and that's a really good point. They they play ahead. And if the Titans are behind, it's game over. 
I do not see Ryan Tannehill winning the football game. If you put it on his shoulders, I don't see this guy going into Baltimore and beating that Baltimore defense. I trust John Harbaugh. I trust Lamar Jackson right now from what I've seen this year. This team seems like a Super Bowl-destined team to me. Now, credit Mike Vrabel and going against uh, your former boss with the Patriots. You know, there's a lot to it. Obviously, this guy's very familiar with Bill Belichick. He had an excellent game plan. They ran the rock with Derrick Henry, and Ryan Tannehill just got to sit back and mm-hmm. just watch him work. Now, again, Derrick Henry, 36 carries. How is he feeling this week? I know he's a beast. I know he's so tough and so durable, but you know he's got to be feeling it, and now he's going against another very, very tough defense, and the Ravens are going to come up with a game plan to stop him and try to make Ryan Tannehill win the game. That will be the recipe. Now, looking at this opening line, Judah, it opened at 10 in a lot of places, and what happened there is the number went immediately down to eight and a half very quickly because people were like, oh my God, that's way too many points. Well, they just seen Tennessee yeah. win in New England. They just saw them beat the dynasty. Right. And they're like, 10 points, man. That's just like a gift. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, when you see a number like that as a sharp in the betting market, you just, it's almost like an automatic. You just have to do it. And the interesting thing, though, is that a lot of this, they say, had to do with the teaser opportunity at 10 because what happens is, when you tease from 10 all the way up to, let's say, 17, you're actually crossing four key numbers. Oh. So you're crossing 11, 13, 14, and you're getting all the way up to 17. And in the betting market, that's that's absolutely huge. So the teaser potential there was really big at 10, and that's why we saw that number drop all the way to 8.5, and, and now it's kind of been bought back, a little buyback, all the way to 9.5. And, and I, I assume it's probably going to stick right around there, you know, unless some major injury or update occurs before kickoff. Looking at the action on the total, heavy, heavy on the under. Of course, both these teams, pretty run-heavy offenses. We know Lamar Jackson can throw the rock, too. They're actually the number one passing offense, DVOA, as well. Um, But a lot of people are thinking Lamar Jackson might not have the same success in the cold weather that he had all season long. I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, it's left to be seen there. But also, you can't really believe that Tannehill is just going to catch fire and you know throw for a bunch of yards and a bunch of, bunch of touchdowns after seeing what they did last week with only 72 yards through the air, a touchdown, and a pick. Now, the under is cashed in each of the last six games where the Ravens were favored in the playoffs. And I think, like you just mentioned, like we just talked about, when the Ravens get ahead, you know, then it's time to run the football. You know, it's Mark Ingram is obviously questionable for this game. Gus Edwards came into his place uh, during the finale of the regular season, week 17, and he ran for a career-high 130 yards. So whoever it is, I think the Ravens are going to be fine. Obviously, you like to have both those backs so that you have some time for each of them to get some rest and stay healthy throughout the game and fresh. Um, But all in all, it looks like a lot of action on the under, and it makes sense based on both these teams being run heavy and based on what I was just talking about. However, the, the big thing here is that the Titans, with Tannehill over their last 11 games, they've gone over the total nine of the last 11 uh, because of him just basically rejuvenating that offense. So that's interesting. Over their team total. Yeah, over, over the yeah. O- over the total of the game. game so total. like yeah, okay. game total. Yeah. So nine of the last 11 for the Titans have gone over. Wow. Uh, but I still kind of lean with the under in this game. Uh, looking at a few trends against the spread for the Titans, they're 6-1 and one against the spread in their last seven versus the AFC, a lot because of Tannehill this year. Uh, and the Titans have covered each of their last five road games. Hmm. So, you know, that obviously speaks to why a lot of people still believe in the Titans. I, I believe in Mike Vrabel. I mean, at the end of the day, this guy coached with Bill Belichick. He's a smart guy, and I kind of like their philosophy. You know, they're ground and pound. They're tough. Um, so I think the Titans can keep this thing relatively a game in the first half. But overall, the biggest difference maker here is that the Ravens, not only are they first in points per drive, uh, they're first in passing offense, DVOA, first in rushing offense, DVOA, and that's really taking a bunch of things together into one DVOA. Um, Titans are the 21st ranked pass defense going against the number one ranked pass defense. So I think Lamar Jackson can definitely see some success through the air. And I think the breaker here, the icebreaker, is that there's a big red zone difference. The Ravens are second 
best in the league in red zone offense while the Titans rank 31st in red zone defense. So when the Ooh. Ravens get down there into the red zone, you best believe they're going to score and the Titans all season have let opponents score. So all in all, Judah, I have to side with the Ravens getting a nice, comfortable win in this one. I will take anything that's single digits. I will lay it. And I don't think I'm going to touch the total because at the end of the day, I think the Ravens could put up 30-plus points here and that could fly over the total. There it is, the Ravens. It is. All right, moving on to Sunday. We have the Houston Texans and Kansas City Chiefs. Line open, Kansas City minus 9, total at 49. Money has been on the over, total now at 51. Mm. Money has also been on Kansas City. You're going to get them up to 9.5 or 10, depending on where you shop. What a game. What a bizarre game Houston-Buffalo was to kick off wild card weekend. Mm-hmm. Buffalo going up 16-0. Houston coming all the way back to force OT. Uh, well, they could have won it in regulation, but Deshaun Watson can't sneak for the first down on fourth down in plus territory. Buffalo goes down and ties the game. Josh Allen with some bizarre play and clutch moments late in that game as well. And in the end, Houston, uh, the more seasoned team in that spot, is going on to the second round. They're up against it now. I know they've won in Kansas City before this year, but that was a different Kansas City team. Mahomes has gotten progressively more healthy. He's performed very well. That offense seems to be humming. The ground game even seems to be humming. And perhaps most importantly for Kansas City, their defense has continued to progress as the year has gone on, which is characteristic for Steve Spagnuolo defense, Mm -hmm. just the way that he did it with Big Blue and the New York Giants for a couple Mm -hmm. of Super Bowl seasons. Here we go, Kansas City now. They're expecting snow Saturday in Kansas City, and it will probably be a little bit better, not quite unlike what we'll have in Green Bay this weekend as mm-hmm. well. Right. But it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, how do you kind of size this up? Mahomes nearly getting double digits against Deshaun Watson. Well, Deshaun Watson, he's a winner, right? He's a Clemson Tiger. I'm wearing my Clemson Tiger uh, sweatshirt right here. That is slick. It's, you know, it's very slick, and we're going to have a Tigers, Tigers, Natty. Now, it's interesting because Trevor Lawrence came back from 16 down against Ohio State, and then Deshaun Watson turns around and does it himself against nothing, the Bills. 16-0. 16 nothing. Isn't that interesting? Very wow. interesting. It's the Clemson Tiger effect there. <laughs> so uh, so watch Houston take a 16 nothing lead against Kansas City. <laughs> and- <laughs> exactly. So... Texans money line. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, real quick here. The Chiefs, they're tied for the best record against the spread this season. 10-5-1 and one against the number. Next year, they'll probably be one of the worst because that's how it works, right? If you're the best against the spread this year, books adjust. Next year, you're probably going to be the worst. But the Chiefs are the hottest team in the NFL right now. In the last, they've won six in a row, and they've covered all six. Wow. In December, they were perfect. 5-0, and they covered all five games. Now they've had a nice couple weeks to rest, a couple weeks to prepare for the Texans. And the Texans' defense is just garbo. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's just, it is bad. I mean, the Texans' defense is one of the worst in the NFL. Now, the Chiefs, you mentioned, with Tyran Matthew, it's a, it's a different story. That guy, I think, alone is just going to make such a difference for that defense, just his energy that he brings um, and also his playmaking ability, of course. Andy Reid, I mean, how much pressure does this guy have? Imagine him losing twice to the Texans at home and in the playoffs yet again. And we know so many times Andy Reid has blown it in the playoffs. And I think a lot of it, Judah, has to do with the fact that they abandoned the run game. Because you look back, earlier in the season, they lost to the Texans at home 31-24. to They abandoned the run game early after getting a little bit of a lead. And the Texans ran for 200 yards themselves. Mm. Watson, he threw two interceptions in that game, and they still won the football game because they pounded the rock. And again, going back to what I said before we even started this show, the teams that are leading in the rushing category are usually the teams that have success in this round. So look out for the Texans. I, I think a lot of what I'm what I'm seeing here and what I'm reading into it is that I'm not feeling as comfortable as I once did in laying the Chiefs. I almost would kind of side with the Texans, although it's really hard to imagine the Chiefs losing this game with all the pressure that's amounting for Andy Reid. Um, I think a lot of odds makers were just giving too much credit overall to the Titans, uh, or sorry, for the Texans beating uh, the Bills at home. I mean, we look at that game, they were down 16-0. Their offense was sputtering, and it really took some heroics from Deshaun Watson to make that thing happen. Bill's defense coming in with that rush, 
nearly could have taken him down for the sack on that play. And I don't know how it happened, Judah, but he escaped those two tacklers. That was amazing. Moved out of the pocket, found his guy. His guy did the rest, brought it into the red zone, set him up for the game-winning field goal. So if you think that they're going to do that back-to-back weeks, power to you. Go ahead and bet the, the Texans. Um, I don't think I like a side here, but I think I would lean the Texans plus the points. Now, really quick on the total, it opened at 49, and as you just mentioned, action coming in on the over. It's now up to 51. A lot of it has to do with right Watson, Mahomes. They're just big playmakers. They can make things happen. And both of these defenses, although you mentioned the Chiefs' defense has progressively gotten better over the season, they're still not an elite defense per se. So I guess we have to look out for the weather, you know, the yeah. snow, like how bad will the snow be? I, I don't know. I've been hearing, it's interesting you say that because I was hearing that it'll be really cold, but I'm not sure if it'll be too snowy, but that's something we have to pay attention to overall in terms of the total. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, it's, I mean, the timing yeah. of kickoff, you know, is exactly. interesting because both Kansas City and Green Bay are expected to get snow Saturday. Mm. But as we know, both of these games are Sunday. So mm-hmm. there will probably be snow coming in, but by the time kickoff comes around, I think it'll be cleared out. I'm looking right. at 37 as a high and mostly sunny in Kansas mm-hmm. City on Sunday. So, yeah, cold, but probably free of snow during the game. Yeah, so even though all the action is coming on the over um, and it looks clear, uh, a couple trends for the under here, though. The under's 4-1 and one in the Chiefs' last five playoff games. Mm. And the unders cash seven of the last ten games for the Texans overall. So if you're looking at trends, the under is kind of like where you're looking. And I think is is high if this total continues to tick up. Like let's say it gets over 52, that's a very key number there. Um, obviously, you got to smash the under on that one. But with both these quarterbacks and the playmaking ability uh, of both these offenses, that's why a lot of the actions came in on the over. A lot of this will have to do with Will Fuller though, because last week, you know, he wasn't able to play. And we talked about how significant it is when he's on the field for Deshaun Watson and the difference that it makes for Deshaun Watson's success on the field. So we still don't know. Bill O'Brien said he doesn't know yet if Will Fuller will play. Maybe he's just kind of holding back. And, you know, we probably won't know, honestly, until the day of. Right. Now, in this series, the road team has covered six of the last seven meetings, and the Texans are 5-2-1 and one against the spread on the road this season. So they've kind of been road warriors. You couple that with Andy Reid's playoff struggles and the Chiefs being just 2-8 and eight against the spread in their last 10 playoff games. One of those wins, if you remember four years ago, uh, was a very impressive one for Reed when they throttled the Texans in, in Houston, Houston. Yeah, 30 to nothing. Niall Davis took the opening kickoff to the house. That's right, that's right. A uh, couple more injuries here. J.J. Watt. I mean, great to see him back on the field last week. But he played oh, 50. Oh, did he play? <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize with the lack of coverage. <laughs> right, right. Uh, he played 50 snaps, though, and he mentioned that that was more than expected. So, you know, he's he's a winner. Like, he wants to be out there. He wants to help his team. But it's not like his peck has gotten any better when you tear your peck. Like, that's no. that hurts, right? Yeah, yeah. And and every it, time I've torn my peck, it's, <laughs> it's been a long rehab. Yeah, I've torn it a few times. No big deal. <laughs> um, and then for the Chiefs side, Travis Kelsey, he's going to play, but he's been dealing with some knee soreness overall. Like, you know, he's in playoff shape, though. So yeah. I think overall, though, I can't really touch this game in terms of taking a side. I do believe that the Chiefs are going to get this win, but I'm kind of hoping that Watson and company keeps this thing close, keeps it entertaining. And if the Texans pull off the heroics once again, let's just say I wouldn't be completely shocked because once again, Andy Reid has yet to really prove it (laughs) when it matters. <laughs> uh, so fade Andy Reid, but fade Andy Reid. That'll be interesting. Uh, if Kansas City Baltimore ends up being the AFC title, there will be a lot to unpack. In oh that yeah, that would be a lot of fun. That's the game that we all want to see. Obviously, <laughs> that's the game we want to see. Now, the game we really want to see is yeah, yeah. the NFC title. Yeah, Seattle San Francisco. Yep. But will we get it? It depends on this game here. Mm. The Seattle Seahawks traveling to face the Green Bay Packers. It's the final playoff game of the weekend, so we get the three to whet the appetite, and then we get the big one in Green Bay. Uh, speaking of snow, they are expecting 
up to 10 inches of snow to hit Green Bay Saturday night. Oh, my. A ton of snow is expected to hit Green Bay Saturday night. The Packers have already put out a request to citizens of Green Bay needing about 700 volunteers to shovel out snow of Lambeau Field as early as 6 a.m. local time Sunday morning. Wow. So they can get their field ready for a 5.40 local time kick. So there's going to be a ton of snow, but probably not during the game in and of itself. And that's important to recognize. I think they're expecting temperatures in the mid-20s for this football game, so Mm -hmm. it's not going to be ice bowl weather. It won't even be like Giants-Packers games at Lambeau of the past that we've seen that that weather has obviously been very cold. Um, But mid-20s is still pretty darn cold, and it's going to be snowing bucket loads, literally, uh, the night before. Uh, This line opened... I was pretty pretty stunned. I'll be honest. I was pretty stunned when I saw the opening line because at the end of Seattle-Philly, I was just thinking out loud to myself, I was like, I think Green Bay is going to be six, six point favorite. Mm-hmm. And I saw the line. It was three and a half. Mm, and yeah. I didn't know what to make of that. I was like, that's a lot of credit for a Seattle team that just kind of struggled to put away Josh McCown. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really totally impressed, obviously thrilled with the playoff win as a fan, totally impressed by the manner in which Seattle beat Philly last week, 17 to nine, um, particularly on defense. Like nine points is great, but Philly moved the ball a lot on the defense, ran it with Boston Scott. McCown completed some balls. I know they played a vanilla scheme when McCown came in, but still I wasn't, it wasn't like smothering. I thought they would win like 24 to three when Wentz left and they didn't. It was a one score game at the end, but it opened green Bay minus three and a half with a total at 46 and not much action on the total. It's, it's moved up a tick to 46 and a half and money is coming in on green Bay just by a little bit as well. So it's now Green Bay minus four or minus four and a half, depending on where you shop. It's mostly uh, Green Bay minus four at home. I've obviously got a lot of thoughts on this game, but I've I've talked a lot. I'll give way to you. No, no, and I want to hear more of your thoughts on this game, absolutely. Um, Now, here's the thing. Vegas, they know something. They always know something. So if you're looking at this line and you're thinking, wow, only three and a half, I thought it was going to be six, which I think, you know, I was pretty shocked too. Uh, but when you look at it, Judah, let's look at strength of schedule for both these teams. And this was an eye opener for me, but it makes sense because I remember looking at the Packers schedule early in the season and thinking, wow, it's not that difficult. The Seahawks having to be blessed with the second toughest schedule in the NFL while the Packers 17th. So the Seahawks have played better competition. And remember when we were looking at that thing um, about if every one-score game was flipped? <laughs> and that's, yes, and I do the, remember this. The Seahawks would be, uh, they would have ended the season 3-13 and 13 or whatever yeah. it was. Um, that's a really wild stat. I think they had the Browns in the playoffs or whatever. But the Seahawks, at the end of the day, they know how to get it done in close games. And that's just credit to Pete Carroll, great coaching, and Russell Wilson being able to lead his team to victory when they need to. Now I just think Vegas knows something there, um, and let's look at let's look at the trends because Seahawks are 34 and 16 or 34, 16 and three, three pushes, 56.7 percent of the time they win against the spread as an underdog, right? So in their last 53 games, they've hit 56.7 percent of the time as an mm. underdog, and they're eight and one against the spread in their last nine games as a road underdog. Mm-hmm. So not only are they Great a lot of that's an, reflected in the fact that they're eight and one outright this year yeah. on the road. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're road warriors. I think they're perfect in the East Coast time zone, mm-hmm. right? That's right. The only loss this year on the road was at the LA Rams. Wow. December eighth. Yeah, against the Rams. What do you know, right? Now, let's look at the Green Bay side of things real quick because I was pretty shocked when I saw this as well. When I look at the history of these two teams, the Packers, they've won. The last eight meetings, the last eight times the Seahawks have come to Lambeau, the Packers have won. That's yeah. going all the way back to 1999 was the last time the Seahawks knocked them off in Lambeau. Weren't even in the NFC yet. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, we're talking a long time ago. We're talking 90s. I was born in the 90s. I was born mm. in the 90s, too. Jeez. I don't remember that game in particular, but it feels like a Dennis Erickson year. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it's about the time when uh, the Broncos were doing pretty well for me. I think they were in back-to-back Super Bowls with a 97-98 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, actually, against Green Bay one year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Green Bay, uh, not only have they won the last eight times in Lambeau, but they're seven and one against the spread in their last eight games versus teams with a winning record. So they also play well against good teams. The only game that they didn't cover was against the 49ers back in November. <laughs> what a game that was! Uh, we really took <laughs> it to uh, we <laughs> we really took it to Aaron Rodgers in that one. Um, the Packers had a couple great wins this season. They covered easily, and they won outright, actually, at Minnesota and at Kansas City. So those are huge quality wins. Now, just going back really quickly, I did say that the Packers won the last eight in a row at Lambeau, but you have to then look at the games in Seattle between these two teams, and the Seahawks have won five of the last six in Seattle against Green Bay. So really it just tells me that these teams have great home field advantage, which we know they do, and in this series the home team has just been dominant in terms of winning the game outright. I'm just so excited for this game, Judah. I mean, there's just so much to it. But yeah. uh, both teams a little bit overhyped considering advanced metrics because I was looking at projections of what the line would be in the NFC Championship game against the 49ers, assuming the 49ers make it, which they will. Um, both teams are projected to be at least four-point underdogs against San Francisco. So... If you consider the fact that the Seahawks are now four-point dogs against Green Bay, but both teams are projected to be right around the same, you know, when you're talking about the number against the Niners, there's some value on the Seattle Seahawks. Also, like I mentioned, Seattle strength of schedule second to the Packers, ranked 17th. And then if we're looking at weighted DVOA, the Seahawks are actually at a 10.8 compared to the 5.3 for the Packers. So what that means is that the Seahawks power rated are just a better team overall so them as a dog again value on the plus four right there the thing that i'm worried about judah and i want to hear what you're worried about with the seahawks not only are they injured and banged up uh all their running backs are gone but now they have marshawn lynch back there they have travis homer and i've been pretty impressed with travis homer i'll be honest the miami running back i didn't think much of him coming into the league. I had no idea he was even in the league until they announced that he was going to be the running back for the Seahawks a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm worried about Aaron Jones and on top of that, uh, Williams, that duo right there against Mm -hmm. the Seahawks run defense because Seattle's run defense ranks 26th. The Packers rushing offense ranks fourth. So Packers could be set up for a good uh, good game on the ground, and with the cold weather and possibly some snow there, you know I think they'll probably play it a little bit more conservative there and try to pound the rock. Now injuries, Judah. Let's look at the injuries because the Seahawks left tackle Dwayne Brown. He had knee surgery not too long ago. He wasn't supposed to practice this past Wednesday, but Pete Carroll said that he did get some work in for a second straight day. So that's encouraging. George Fant was the guy who replaced him, right? Now, Fant was in there for two of the last three games in replacement for Dwayne Brown. But the thing is, with them not having both available, the Hawks weren't able to use Fant as an extra tackle in their heavy packages, which is pretty much a a staple of their offense. And they want to be able to have that heavy package ready to go all their guys healthy so that Marshawn Lynch can finally pound it into the end zone and win a football game. <laughs> that run, though, last week, that Thanks. was impressive. I Thanks mean, he... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to do it to you. Um, Packers side, though, their nose tackle, Kenny Clark, he's dealing with back issues, and that's not good because this guy, he's been a key for their run defense, and he also climbed up to third on the team in sacks. He has six sacks this season. So be on the lookout for Kenny Clark and see if he's going to be playing in that game come kickoff or how he's feeling because that'll be a big deal, and I think without him, the Seahawks will definitely be able to find some more success on the ground. All in all, Jude, I want to hear some thoughts from you. What are you worried about? What are you really thinking? Non-biased opinion. But I do think the Seahawks plus four is the play. It has the most value, and I like the under in this game as well. Play the under. Yeah, for me, I mean, rushing the rushing game really matters to me in this game here, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I think Green Bay is kind of an underrated rushing attack. With that offensive line and with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, I was not impressed with Seattle's rush defense basically all year, but particularly against the Eagles last week. And they had a banged-up offensive line, no Brandon Brooks, no Lane Johnson. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, you know, Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, toting mm-hmm. the rock. Like, 
I didn't think Seattle did particularly well. If you look at the regular season stats on defense, Seattle is 22nd in the league in rush defense and yards a game allowed, 117. Mm-hmm. Green Bay is 23rd, one mm-hmm. step below Seattle, 120. So even though the Smith, bro- uh, Smith brothers, but mm-hmm. uh, Zendarius Smith and uh, Preston Smith have, have been yeah. so good for Green Bay this year, um, rush defense has not exactly been what they hang their hat on. Running the football, Green Bay was 15th you know, in the league. Rushing offense, yards a game, Seattle was sixth. Most of that was Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, though. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, Seattle's run games looked a lot different, and you're not kidding, man. When they say they are banged up, Seattle is so banged up yeah. on the offensive line. Dwayne Brown, left tackle. We're not sure if he's going to make it back. He's mm-hmm. missed the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. Mike Iapati, a left guard, veteran, oh, God. playoff veteran. That's a guy you need. Need him. I know from back in the day when he was on the Niners. Yeah. Great player. He hasn't played yet in the last three weeks. Didn't play last week either, so... Yeah, Jamarco Jones at left guard, George Fan at left tackle. Starting center right now, the second string center since Justin Brick got hurt. Joey Hunt has dealt with fibula issues, but he's been playing through it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just think that Green Bay defense is really good up front on the line. And, you know, but golly, man, like, this is Seahawk football. This mm-hmm. is what we do. This, yeah. You know, even with, there have been a lot of years when there's been shoddiness up front, but you got number three back there. Yes. And when you have a guy like Russell Wilson, he can make a lot of plays with pressure in his face. Mm. So if I figure out a way how does Seattle, you know, go about winning this football game, part of me is like, well, they have to establish the run and go from there. Another part of me is it'd be great to to get some scoring in the first half because I'd be worried if Seattle got into predictable passing situations all second half long. Yeah. You know, if they're down 10 or whatever, for as good as Russell Wilson is at coming back, you don't want that O-line against that pass rush for Green Bay. It's been a good pass rush this year. They blitz well. Mike Pettin's got a good defensive scheme. Definitely. The other thing I think about is, man, at some point for Seattle to win this game, it needs to become obvious that Pete Carroll has coached in a lot of these games and Matt LaFleur has not. Yes. It's Matt LaFleur's first playoff game. It's Kyle Shanahan's first playoff game as a head coach, mm. you know, on the other side. It's interesting because LaFleur and Shanahan are good friends. LaFleur's little brother is on Shanahan's staff in San Francisco. They both coached in Washington under Mike Shanahan, and Sean McVay was there too. Wow, yeah. And that would be a very cool storyline, in my opinion, for an NFC title, Matt LaFleur and, and Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, but we already saw that on Sunday Night Football this year, and it wasn't close. One of Green Bay's three losses. At some point in this game, for Seattle to win, we're going to have to realize the narrative that Pete Carroll and Seattle has been in this situation so many times. Matt LaFleur has not. Does that? Does he have trouble adjusting on offense in-game to what whatever Seattle's doing? Um, can Seattle scheme up a couple of pressures that they haven't seen? Need a big game from Jadavion Clowney. Mm-hmm. Quandre Diggs playing in this football game. He's missed the last few weeks at safety. Very familiar. We're playing against uh, Aaron Rodgers from De- from Detroit. Mm-hmm. Seattle is 8-1 and one in their games with Diggs, even though that's kind of arbitrary because past defense has been you know pretty pretty much the same with or without him, but he brings some level of stability. Seattle has to show up in the run game defensively, better than they did last week. And they need to run it pretty good in this game, I think. I honestly, I think Beast Mode, I think Marshawn, he had a catch last week out of the flat. I think he's got to have a couple catches in this game too Mm -hmm. in order to get to the NFC title. I think Seattle can do it. My lean is Seattle plus four, but it's it's because I can't root otherwise. I really can't in this game. I wouldn't be surprised if Green Bay won. I don't think there's blowout potential here, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, and you know maybe third game's a charm here for Marshawn, right? He now he's in his third game playing in a row, and maybe he's really getting some rhythm going, right? Yeah. Um, the storylines are interesting, like you mentioned, because I mean it could. I hope it's not, but it could be Vikings Packers. You know, a divisional matchup in the in the uh, NFC title game, right. and it also could be an NFC West divisional matchup in the title game, right? Right, with the Seahawks and the Niners. So. Uh, yeah, I think any way you put it, if it's Niners, Packers, or if it's Niners, Seahawks, great storylines. It's either round three between Niners and Seattle. And I do really think that, I, I mean, that game I would love to see, obviously, because I think the NFC West has been the best division in football this year. And I think, actually, the NFC North 
Am I saying, yeah, Packers, yeah. Packers, Vikings, I mean, that division has been the second best in all of football. I really do believe that. The yeah. AFC has great teams, but as a division as a whole, NFC West and NFC North, clearly, as we're seeing, those are the last four remaining. Well, you know, the evidence says, you know, they had an NFC West put an 11-5 and team into the wild card. The NFC North put a 10-6 and team into the right. wild card. Yep. That definitely checks out. So uh, the lean is going to be for me, Seattle plus four. Take the money line. Money line. <laughs> Take that money line. Go Hawks, baby. I really, really hope they can get it done. Yeah. All right. That's all for divisional round. That leaves the final game in college football this year. The national championship game. Oh, baby. All Tigers, Clemson and LSU. Um, really excited that this is the matchup. I was rooting for Clemson. I had Clemson over Ohio State. That was Obviously a lucky cover, uh, but also a great win uh, for the Tigers over the Buckeyes in that classic semifinal in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, This is a really, really interesting game for me because it's LSU minus six. The line opened LSU minus six and a total at 70. And it's stayed, according to Vegas Insider right now, it's it's stayed at six, but I'm, I've been hearing places have gone to six and a half. There have been some places to go up there, and it yeah. might get to seven. Because one of the interesting dynamics about this game being put on, normally it's after wildcard weekend, and it gets that Monday after wildcard weekend. Off divisional weekend in this case, everybody's going to have, you know, they're, they're going to know how well they did on NFL playoff weekend, and that might affect the side and the amount of money that they're betting on the Monday night national championship game. Mm-hmm. At some point, you know, people are going to be coming in heavy on LSU, I think. Still, I don't know much public anybody that's taking Clemson, and I'm kind of stunned. Like, I know how good Joe Burrow and LSU are, but that is a big number for a quarterback that's never lost a college football game in Trevor Lawrence, right? So you got the total now, 69 and a half. Uh, I I have a lean there as well, and that... The spread at six right now in favor of LSU. How would you go about kind of breaking this one down? Oh, man. I mean, I know how good LSU is. We know how prolific their offensive attack has been. Joe Burrow, the Heisman Trophy winner. They have the Bolitnikoff winner as well. You got the best quarterback, the best wide receiver. And they have a couple other wide receivers who are just as good and who came in clutch in their game against Oklahoma as well. It was funny because Jamar Chase wasn't even the guy that was dominating that game against yeah. Oklahoma. It was their other dudes, um, who was a, uh, Jefferson, Jefferson, Justin Jefferson. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And then you can't forget about Terrence Marshall either. Yeah. He's actually the tallest guy on the team at uh, 6'4", I believe. So, I mean, they have some absolute weapons. Now, when I first saw this line, Judah, I mean, I instantly thought, yeah, most people who don't follow college football who are just like, oh, I'm going to bet one game a year because it's the national championship game and all they did was watch that LSU-Oklahoma game, of course, there's some recency bias and they're going to look at it and be like, wow, LSU, how do you stop them? I mean, they're just absolutely unstoppable. And there's been so much talk all year and for a long time, not even just this year, but about the ACC just not being a really strong conference and Clemson is just like so far above everyone else and everyone below them is just very average. But you mentioned it. Trevor Lawrence has not lost a football game in his college career and Clemson now has won, what, 29 games in a row. Yeah. Dabo Sweeney and company have been to four straight college football playoffs. They knocked off Alabama, I believe, as six-point underdogs last year in the Mm. national championship game. It was somewhere around there. Not only did they cover and win, but they blew the doors off of them. They embarrassed Alabama. And now it almost seems, I I mean, I believe it. I think Clemson is the powerhouse of college football now, and Alabama has kind of taken a step back. Not, Not that they're gone, but Clemson has really put themselves up there as the best team I think just the dynasty the franchise in college football right now some interesting numbers here though Judah the number one and number three seeds in the college football playoff have actually never won the championship yet since the college football playoff has been birthed Hmm. and this is the one versus the three so obviously that will change this year number one seeds are 0-3 in the championship game wow wow so very interesting there Um, this is the first time actually in the college football playoff era that we have two undefeated teams meeting in the championship. There's never been a, what, a 15-0 and champion yet. Yeah. Um, except maybe, like, way back in the day if they had more games at that point. 
Um, but my first instinct in this game is Clemson plus the points because they're just winners, dude. I mean, I've talked about before. We talked about Deshaun Watson. We talked about Trevor Lawrence and what he was able to do down 16 nothing against Ohio State on the ropes against Chase Young against you know, basically three Heisman Trophy contenders on Ohio State, two on offense, one on defense. And a lot of people were saying Ohio State was the best team in college football, but most well-rounded team in college football. Yet Clemson did not give up. Uh, they weren't scared of the moment. They came back, and a lot of it really had to do with Trevor Lawrence's legs, too. And, you know, him on top of Justin Herbert, you mm-hmm. know, really using their legs down the stretch. And it was different than what, you know, they've done most of the season. Um, so I think Trevor Lawrence's ability to use his legs again is going to come into play in this game for sure. Um, looking at it, the LSU, uh, where is this here? Yeah, so Trevor Lawrence, yeah, he showed that in the semifinal. He had 16, oh, that's right, 16 carries, 105 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. So that's yeah. a lot of carries for a quarterback, right? Yeah. On top of your arm just being good and having guys like T. Higgins who can catch the football and make something happen with it. Um I think it was the one game that LSU, so LSU averages 119.6 rushing yards a game. Defensively, they allow 119 rushing yards a game. That's only 3.6 per carry, where on the other side, Clemson is averaging 246 rushing yards a game. They're averaging 6.4 a carry, so almost doubling what LSU is allowing on the ground. And Travis Etienne, over 1,500 yards this year, 8 yards per carry, Dabo Sweeney said that he was the most complete back that he's ever coached. Um, on top of this, looking at uh, looking at LSU, the one time that they played a team that actually ran the football on them, it was Ole Miss. They went for 402 yards, and it was mostly by that quarterback of theirs for Ole Miss. Um, and they still won the football game, but they gave up 37 points and a lot of 402 rushing yards. So I believe Clemson can have a lot of success on the ground between ETM, between Trevor Lawrence. Um, and my lean overall on this game, Judah, is going to be Clemson plus the points. The total is extremely high at about 70. I just think a lot of people are going to want to jump on the over. They're going to want to jump on LSU, but I beg to differ. I would take Clemson plus the points, and I think defense is going to be the key in this game. Brent Venables, and on the other side, Dave Aranda. Some of the best to do it. It's really interesting because, yeah, you're right. Aranda is one of the most respected DCs in the game. Mm-hmm. So is Venables. Yep. And yet, the offensive potency on both sides of the ball is historic, really, yeah. like between Burrow and Lawrence. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm interested. I'm conflicted on the total because mm-hmm. there is part of me that says, hey, this game's indoors. You know, the Fiesta Bowl, people were slipping all over the place. Clemson, Ohio State. There was still a good amount of points there, I guess. But, you know, I only think Clemson's offense is going to be even faster on on an indoor track. Oh, yeah. But the total is at about 70. That's a healthy amount of points, you know, especially are we going to get a fast track, fast break, memorable national title game Mm -hmm. that we remember it as Burrow versus Lawrence? Or will these defensive coordinators, and more importantly, their players on each side of the ball on defense, step up with a key turnover or two and and make this hit the under? Sounds like you're leaning toward the latter. Yeah, and if you remember that national championship with Alabama-Clemson, it might have been the first one between the two when it was like 45-35 to 35 final. Uh, I think it was 45-41. Oh, 45-41. Deshaun hit Renfro. Yes. Was that, was that the one? Mm-hmm. Or was there another one? I think there's or been a the, couple high-scoring <laughs> ones. Yeah, you're but, right. Probably. Yeah, because I remember there was one with O.J. Howard, and I think that yeah. might have been like the first one. I think that was also high-scoring. Yeah. E- either way, yeah, if, you know, if it's a game like that, obviously this game's going to go way over. Um, I don't know. It's just, for me, Clemson, you look at it, they're actually the number one overall defense in college football. They only allow 245 yards a game and just 10.6 points per game. Um, their secondary only allows 138 passing yards a game. Now, I guarantee you Joe Burrow is going to throw for over 138 passing yards in this game, but Clemson's defense, I mean, they've really done it all year long, and you look back at the Ohio State game, they allowed zero touchdowns to Ohio State on three red zone trips. Wow. So, you know, Clemson's red zone defense is really, really strong. I think their ability to 
prevent touchdowns and force LSU to maybe kick a couple field goals more than they're used to. That's going to be a key in the game. Although I can also see LSU just going for it. I can see both these teams kind of just going for it, you know. Um, Clemson's Clemson is also the number three overall offense in college football. So both these teams are averaging over 45 points a game. So if you're just looking at the averages, I mean, yeah, this is expected to be a high-scoring game. But I've just seen time and time again um, in big games, in the national championship, when the Super Bowl, you know, when it's really all on the line, you know, defenses win championships. They say that all the time. I just think if you're going to side with Clemson, which I think I am going to side with Clemson in the points, I also have to lean the under because I think Clemson covering plays into an under type of game. Play the under. Well, there you go. We got that uh, locked and loaded. Yeah, you're right. This is going to be a heck of a football game. Uh, Hopefully it's an instant classic and one of the ones that uh, is memorable to cap the 150th season of college football. Lawrence, Burrow, I'm excited. In the next three days, all meaningful football, significant football. Hopefully there will be a couple games in there that we don't forget. It's going to be great, Judah. And honestly, I just really want Clemson to win because I want Paul Feinbaum to eat his words and the (laughs) SEC to go down once again. So go Tigers. And I'm talking about the Clemson Tigers. (laughs) Love it. Yeah, me too. Rooting for Clemson as well, even though Burrow, great year. But uh, go, go Clemson. For Zach Schlegel, I'm Judah Newby. Hit him up on Twitter at Zach Schlegel. I'm at Judah Newby, 750thegame and 750thegame.com. We will see you all next week. We're going to be breaking down the results of the national championship as well as championship Sunday. Ooh, buddy. And then some college football eventually on tap. Yeah, college basketball. Sorry, college basketball. What am I saying? Football's on my mind, Judah. (laughs) That's it. 750thegame, bet the game.